Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jesse will be back on Monday. He's traveling tomorrow, but uh, he's on an undisclosed uh, place where he's doing his talk. We can't talk about that. No, I'm just joking, folks. Jess, <laughs> thanks again for all your work at this parish mission you're working on. I'm, Terry, I'm hiding from the liberals. Yeah. So I, I can't tell them where I'm at because uh, I got a target on my back. That is funny. <laughs> hey, Brother Jess, this is an interesting show because you've got a young couple, young, young men and women that... Uh, from Thomas Aquinas College that did something regarding sacred music. And they're teaching people how to work with Gregorian chant. And we've got a lot to talk about that because we know that in the last 50, 60 years, we've, it's been exited out of our church erroneously. It shouldn't be, but it is. And we need to bring it back. So we'll be talking about that. That's going to be an interesting conversation. Also, I love this story about my uncle, a heroic priest who was murdered while cleaning up a homosexual mafia in the D.C. parish. This story 20 years ago, I remember it well. And uh, when we tell about this uh, priest, we'll say, man, we need more priests like him because he was willing to, you know, go to the go to the mat for the faith and much, much more. But uh, Jess, before, and I got this quote from Fulton Sheen, Jesse, about politics and religion. You know, sometimes people say, Terry, Jesse, stop talking politics. Well, <laughs> wait till you hear what Fulton Sheen has to say, and then you'll say, well, maybe we need to. Maybe we need to show our faith in the political way to communicate the gospel of Christ. So that's just something Terry, Fulton Sheen's yeah. going to say. Go ahead. Terry, I'll, I'll tell you who threw a monkey wrench into, into a church and state. It was the Freemasons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the Freemasons, that's a Masonic uh, precept, yep. separation of church and state. That comes from Freemasonry. Right. Many of the founding fathers were Freemasons. And so this is one of the things that they've been arguing the whole time. This why? Because this goes against Catholic papal teaching. That's right. You, you got popes like Pius X, Leo the Thirteenth, and others. They talked about the fact that the state and the church cannot be separate. Right. In other words, they've always seen the church as supernatural. The state is natural, yep. and the supernatural has to influence the natural. Yep. It was the it was with the rise of Freemasonry that we've seen this bifurcation, and we're paying the price now here in America, Terry. Well said. Well, Jess, let's get some soul food in us, and then we'll get to Sheen, and we'll get to all of our topics. So open up your Bibles, folks. Soul food. Yep. Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 51 to 59. Anything in the, Jesse, anything on the Gospel of John is so rich. Rich. And and not only rich, easy to understand. Yeah, man, it's clear. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, even a fourth grader can understand it. You don't have to be sophisticated. All right, okay, here's Lord. Yeah, your servant is. Servant, servant. Jesus said to the Jews, pretty simple, <laughs> amen, amen, I say to you. Look, at notice the double amen. That's, yeah, that's pay attention. That's, yeah, that's what it means in Hebrew. Pay attention. I'm going to say something real important. <laughs> Whoever keeps my word will never see death. What's he talking about? He's not talking about physical death because we're all going to die. He's talking about mortal death, which means mortal sin in your soul. Amen. How, do you, how, how will you not die in a mortal sin if you keep his word? In other words, if you keep his word, that means you live in a state of sanctifying grace by keeping his word. Yep. He continues. So the Jews said to him, now we are sure that you are possessed. So demonic possession goes way back into ancient history. It's, it's nothing new. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, Whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? By the way, he'd been dead about 2,000 years at this point. <laughs> yeah. Or the prophets who died. 
Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is worth nothing. But it is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. You do not know him. But I know him. And if I should say that I did that, I do not know him. I would be like you, a liar. But I do know him and I keep his word. Why does Jesus know the Father? Because he's the second person of the Trinity. And so he lives, he, he always has the beatific vision before him, even while he's on earth for 33 years. So he always has a face-to-face relationship with the first person of the Blessed Trinity. It was never severed, never broken like Calvin, like Calvin taught the Reformation. He said it was broken at the cross, severed at the cross. Heresy, blasphemy. We continue. So the Jews said to him, Uh, No, Abraham, your father rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, amen, amen. I say to you before Abraham came to be, or the Greek actually says before Abraham was, Mm -hmm. I am, I am what? I am Yahweh. I am the eternal God. I am the God that appeared to Moses. I'm the God who created the world in the six days of creation. I am the God who's part of the Red Sea. They knew exactly what he said to him. Look what it says. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because to say you were God in the Old Testament amongst the Jews was a crime of blasphemy. And it says, but Jesus hid and went out of the temple area, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I am who am. They knew exactly what he was saying, and like you said, they wanted to kill him because who could be like God? Who could be a God? So uh, that exactly. message got clearly uh, sent to them. Yeah, he said it very simply. He, he said, look it, Abraham's been dead for 2,000 years. Yeah. Guess yeah. what, guys? Abraham knew me. Yeah. Guess what? Abraham was glad to see my day. Yep. Guess what, guys? Before Abraham was born 2,000 years ago, I was, I was already pre-existent as the second person of the Trinity. In other words, I am God. That's right. This yeah. is what set them on fire, Terry. Yeah, they had a complete meltdown, meltdown right? when he said this. Yep. Your point is well taken, Jess. Good job. Yeah, you know, he they, they, they had a – Terry, remember the, the young uh, kind of heavyset girl when, when, when Trump was elected four and a half years, five years ago – and they showed her on all the channels. She had like a beanie. She oh, was I young and Caucasian. Yeah, yeah. And she fell on her knees and started screaming. Yeah. This is the way the Jews, Terry, that was the same type of meltdown they had when Jesus said, I am God. Hey, there you go. All right. Well, let's bring the smartest guy into the room. Full Sheena ahead. And just this is a quote I know I sent to you years ago. And I think you even used it in one of your books on uh, the faith. It's about conflict and politics. He says, the conflict of the future will be between a God religion and a state religion, between Christ and the Antichrist, but in a political disguise. You know, Jess, he said that 60, 70 years ago. It's happening as we speak. Mm. And so we have to stand up and take sides. There's no, it's simple, Jess. You've got the God side and you've got the humanistic devil side, okay? That's as simple as I can say. So Fulton Sheen is telling us with our politics that this conflict, we have to get involved and fight for truth. And that's what we try to do here 
at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, even though some people say you're talking too much politics when you talk about these pro-life issues. Come on, stop it. No, we, we will not stop speaking the truth in charity, even if it means calling out political parties or even the president of the United States of America. Yeah, Terry, even sometimes, unfortunately, which is unpopular, we have to call out some of our some of our bishops. Well, Strickland just did that. Bishop Strickland, who's got our show, he says, Catholic prelates who teach error are revolting against reality. They need to retire and step down. It's right here in LifeSite News, right on, the, right on the Bishop Strickland Hour on Virgin Most Powerful. And by the way, if somebody, sometimes people criticize us and they'll send us emails you guys can't criticize this bishop or that. Why are you guys making these statements? Wait a minute. Read Canon 212 right. and the Catechism of the Catholic Church 907. It clearly tells us that as lay Catholics, we have the obligation and the duty That's right. to ask our sacred pastors questions when it comes to these issues of our faith. And by the way, uh, the last two popes have even told us that you can criticize me. Pope uh, Benedict, yep. on two different occasions, right. in front of two different audiences, he says, you can criticize me. In fact, when he wrote the, the book, his book, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, That's right. says, you don't have to agree with this. I wrote this as a, as a theologian, not as a pope. Not It was infallible. Yep. You can disagree with what I've written. Pope Francis, he also said a little, a little, a little after that, in front of Italian bishops, he says, hey, if I've said something, or I've done something that uh, that you disagree with, you can disagree with me. So once again, as long as we do it in charity, and as long as we do it for the good of the church, there's no problem, Terry. Exactly, and that's why I keep saying never worry about who will be offended if you speak the truth. Worry about who will be misled and deceived and destroyed mm. if you don't speak the truth. And I think that's what Bishop Strickland, Bishop Nathanaeus Snyder, and many others and we need to get more of our prelates and our bishops and the Pope to speak out and not worry too much about what people will say because it's the truth that set us free. We read that yesterday, yesterday. in the Gospel of John. So, yeah. hey, Jess, when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, a, a man that uh, his uncle was a priest, and he was murdered. He was a heroic priest. He was murdered while cleaning up a gay mafia, homosexual mafia. I don't use the word gay. I'm gay. Uh, homosexual mafia in the D.C. area, and Cardinal Hickey is the one who put him on this assignment, and it cost him his life. And you know what? I you know I think about twenty years ago, Jesse, that dude is in heaven. Most he gave his Amen, life up. Terry. Amen. I mean, he, died, he died for Jesus. He died for Jesus. Are you kidding me? Yes. When you hear this story, it will touch your soul in a very powerful way. And again. I want to always say, hey, we're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money here at Virgin Most Powerful, we'd be billionaires because we know the end of the story. We win. They lose. Stay tuned for more on the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back, back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jess is out. 
He'll be back on Monday. He's out in the sense doing a parish mission. Just just to let people know, I want them to invite you to their parish. How can they do that, brother? <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, go, yeah, yeah. Go to jesseromero.com. Uh, You're busy. If, if you'd like to invite me to your parish. Yep. And uh, I'll, I'll give your parish a faith lift. A faith lift. <laughs> Not a and if your, par- <laughs> if your parish uh, suffers from, uh, from uh, lukewarm Catholicism, uh, Dan Schneider says uh, that when, when I preach at a parish, he goes, Jesse gives DDWPP, devil destroying, power preaching with devil destroying theology. PPWDDT, power preaching with devil destroying theology. That's what you're going to get when you Absolutely. So go to jesseromero.com. Jess, let's talk about this heroic priest. What's the story behind here? I can just imagine how many priests have died like this, Terry. Yeah, nobody uh, knows. Trying to, yeah, nobody knows. And right now they're in heaven. There's, there's saints or they're martyr saints in heaven. Yep. But uh, this article was written by Kevin Wells. He talks about his uncle, who was a heroic priest, yep. who was murdered while trying to clean up the gay mafia in a D.C. parish. And uh, basically, this priest died for his flock. And uh, he says, so it's coming up on 20 years since my uncle, Monsignor Thomas Wells. I remember this story, Terry. I can't. I, I, I talked yeah. to Monsignor. I talked to Kevin Wells about this at, at one of our mm. conferences. He's a good man. Go ahead. Mm. He was murdered in his Maryland rectory during yeah. a somber late night. Yep. Uh, late, late summer night. Deputy State Attorney Kay Winfrey called the scene spine chilling, yeah. as gruesome as anything she'd ever encountered. His body was marked by deep stab wounds around his neck, his head and neck, accompanied by many dozens of slashes to various other parts of his body, like a stigmata from hell. Mm. His murderer, Robert Paul Lucas, followed the well-worn path of a cold-blooded killer, hiding his outdated brown and beige van amid a metallic forest of other dilapidated vehicles tucked away off a country road. An alcohol and cocaine-fueled homeless tree trimmer carried out Satan's handiwork. But that's only part of the story of the murder of one of the most beloved priests in the history of the Archdiocese of Washington. The groundwork was laid by bad Catholic priests. Repeat repeat that, because there are bad Catholic priests. And we need the, to groundwork, them. Yep. the groundwork was laid by bad Catholic priests. Back. What does he mean? An unshakable conviction shared by dozens of priests and thousands of lay faithful in the Maryland, D.C. corridor, is that Monsignor Wells' life and 29-year priesthood ended as a result of the act of homosexuality practiced by priests who once lived in that rectory. Wow. Back then. Wow. Kevin Wells writes this. In the aftermath of Tommy's murder, that's what he calls his priest, his priest uncle, we learned that the now bulldozed Mother, Mer- Mother, uh, Mother Seton Rectory in Germantown, Maryland, had been the site of years of appalling sacrilege and sin. Uh, I got Tara, continue. I got George Navarini from. Oh, uh, good. Yeah, I'll get it. Oh, yeah. yeah, you bet. You bet. And here's the point. Yes, sir. Um, the aftermath of this murder, of uh, he's going to recall him as Uncle Tommy as a family called him in this affection. We learned that now the bulldozed Mother Seton Rectory in this Germantown, Maryland, had been the site, yes, of appalling sacrilegious sins. It emerged the two priests, Reverend Paul E. Laban and Reverend Aaron J. Cote, who had served as Mother Seton, had been credibly accused, are you hear that? Accused as sexual predators of teenage boys. 
Laban had been stripped of his clerical faculties and, quote, accused of sexual molestation in at least, are you ready, four states and also in Peru. Now, God have mercy on him. He died in 2012. Now, a third mother Seton priest who seemed to have vanished from the state of Maryland is also widely known, has been sexually active with other men prior to my uncle's arrival. But this is the part, this man, this priest, his, his uncle was a no-nonsense type of guy, Jess. If you're, are you back there, Jess? What, my uncle's first official act, I love this first What did he do, Jesse? His first official act as pastor at Mother Seton was to rip out the rectory hot tub. Are you kidding me? A close friend and confidant of Uncle Tommy's Secret Service agent, police officer involved with the investigation and work of the murder, knew my uncle was twice requested by Cardinal James uh, Hickey of the Washington, D.C. to hear us what the Cardinal said. Uproot homosexual rings at Mother Seton and his previous parish. This confidence shared with me what many around those parts already knew. Priests living in Mother Seton's rectory were widely known to have thrown... Are you, see, this is so sick, Jesse. Hot tub parties for other priests. Continue, Jess, if you're with me. Nope, Monsignor Wells was a hand-picked priest to get rid of this rot. Can you imagine your cardinal telling you that? Unbelievable. But he did. He was hand-picked. He was to report to the cardinal on what he discovered. Now, this is a Secret Service agent telling me this to myself. I have no doubt about it. That night, the murderer was looking for a trick. In other words, for homosexual sex. Monsignor Wells was murdered because of the homosexual activity that had taken place in, in that rectory. So why bring up the sewer memories? You know, why bring it up now? Well, he's got a good point. Well, for one thing, he said, I loved my uncle. He said, I spent much of my life in his orbit. He vacationed with me in Ireland, Montana, Berkshires, a number of other places. For many years after he was murdered, I wrestled with my own conflicted thoughts about the church and her priests. You know, I can see why. Within this divine and human institution. Notice he said the church is human and divine. And the humanity of the church is alive and well in our time. What? was the hunters and limits of the priest's supernatural weight. What is the fullness of his earthly role? These are questions he's asking. In addition to asking God to help answer these questions in the silence of many holy hours over the years, as an old, he was a baseball reporter for, the, uh, for baseball, professional baseball. He said, I began asking these same questions, same questions, uh, you know, and faithful would regarding these intentional priests. And answers began to filter in. I found myself swept back into the biographies of St. John Vianney, St. Padre Peel, St. Maximine Colby, and many of the other giants. When I witnessed firsthand accounts of sacrificial work from some faithful priest, see, he died for the, for his, for the people, for his priest. His priesthood, he died, just like St. Maximine Colby. He said, men and women of great wisdom and holiness opened up to me. And I started recording and organizing the information they gave to me. So I was, he said, reporter, he's getting the facts. He said, I was on a high-powered pilgrimage 
the likes which I've never before experienced, when suddenly the idea of writing a book took root in my mind. But who was I? I was just a layman, he said. I write a book on how priests should be? No. He said, I'll tell you who I am, and I like this. I'm a faithful Catholic who has had enough of this brutalness and the wickedness in the church. I speak in solidarity with many millions of ashamed and disillusioned fellow Catholics like me, reeling in from the uh, this sin that has been allowed to metastasize within the church for way too long. Too many wayward churchmen have profaned, insulted, and trampled upon the sacred heritage that generations of hard-working people like you have built up, sincere Catholics who built it around their lives. And here's the bottom line, and this is our prayer tonight at the chapel from 7 to 9. We pray for priests. We need faithful priests. Are you ready? I like what he says. Not lazy priests who repress social justice types with with inauthentic vocations who have packed the seminaries, dominating the headlines. We need holy men in the priesthood. So we can... We need intentional priests that are holy with example, especially in the time of this militant secularism in our world. So he wrote a book about true Catholic priesthood, and I think it'll inspire people, about my uncle Tommy, the the Monsignor. And this week, the Sophia Institute Press released the book. Here's the title, The Priests We Need to Save the Church. And I think it would be good to give to your priests at your parish. In the book, he said, I dare to tell the clergy while their flock is fleeing and beg them to reconsider their sacrificial role of shepherding their lost and bleeding sheep back into the pen. Yep, that's pretty much it. And I'll just take a pause. Father Enrique Ureira, good friend of mine from the 1980s, wrote a book, The Homosexual Network. And unfortunately, when he wrote that book, he also was told he's nuts and he was right on. And um, I just, you know, people have to wake up. Now we're realizing this has been going on for decades. Now, he says, until the parish priest lives up only to become a saint, and he's right, there will be no healing in the church. That statement is absolutely true. Until the parish priest embraces poverty and pours himself out with countless costs, the church's sickness will worsen. Until the parish priest decides to die for his flock, I've met priests like that. We will remain on life support. Yeah, I believe we're in life support because of weakness of the clergy. Monsignor George Kelly wrote a book. What it is? He says, where's the church going? Where its leaders take them. The battle for the American church. You've got to have strong leadership. We need men, he said today, proclaimers of God's word who are unafraid to preach the Catholic faith at the blazing furnace of the truth, that is. And I want to just say... If we can get, we're going to get this next segment in uh, with about sacred music. I just want to mention this, that uh, he said, we need priests to offer up their lives so now that the lady will gain uh, and restore a sense of fatherhood. He's uh, spot on. Such priests will become the story of our time. They will bring massive conversions and restore our church to the culture that we have as a Catholic culture. Now, Two nights before his uncle's murder, Tommy sat, and this is so beautiful, I want to get this in. He basically helped him and his wife realize that even their 
uh, situation where they couldn't have a child was a blessing. And he gave them great solace and direction. And I just think this priest was so good because there's another story, if I can share it. David Russell, a Vietnam Marine Corps frontline soldier turned drifter, worked at a gas station down the road from Father Tommy's parish, Sacred Heart in Bowie, Maryland. Tommy and the attendant began to strike up a conversation at each fill-up. In the process of discovering his mental scars and war had inflicted on David, Tommy learned that he was a Catholic. They, they talked, intensified, and within a year, the Marine vet became a daily communicant. Is that awesome? What's even better? He ended up were teaching at the parish, and Father asked him, have you thought about becoming a priest? The guy became a Catholic priest. He preached at his, at his funeral. This is the kind of priest this man was. Hey, when we come back, I'm hoping to be able to get our next interview on with sacred music here on the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. What a great story about his uncle. The name of that book, get it from Sophia Press. You can't miss it. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Jesse, welcome back, brother. Okay, we're still not being able to hear Jesse. We're having some technical uh, challenges here. But I want, before we go to the interview, I want to mention to folks that we talked about a holy priest who died 20 years ago. There's an organization called Pray for Priests, a rosary crusade for priests. They've got 20,000 people fit into a stadium in Sacramento, California on May 28th. Father Don Calloway will be there. Uh, they've asked me to give a talk also. I'm going to be there. And so we'll tell all 20,000 people about Virgin Most Powerful, that's for sure. But we'll be here. And I believe we've got George. Uh, George, are you with us? This is a terrible I am. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I don't think I can hear Jesse, though. No, don't can't hear Jesse. So, so George, tell us a little bit about what you're doing when it comes to Gregorian chant, sacred music. I, I'm reading Bishop Athanasius Snyder's book uh, called The Catholic Mass, and he has a whole section on... Gregorian chant and how uh, we need to bring that back. And so tell us a little story about yourself and your background. I think you're a graduate of Thomas Aquinas College. Is that correct? Correct. Um, so, uh, I'll just, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of background yeah, to myself. Um, uh, I've always been a great lover of music. Uh, and when I was 14, 15, my parents actually started going to the traditional Latin mass in um, Oakland, California. And um, along with that, um, I was forced or imposed to join a Catholic youth choir and, um, I was kind of kicking and screaming originally before I went in, but with <laughs> probably the first 30 seconds of singing, um, uh, I was just totally kind of converted, I guess you would say, um, but just total, total mind change. Um, and my life's been different ever since. Um, and I was about half my life ago. So when I was 14, I'm 28 now. Um, yeah. so. I, can I, can I just say this? You know, when you say things like this, it makes me smile because I've met several other people have had the same experience because 
the sacred music is so beautiful that it reaches your soul. And so tell us what you decided to do to help Holy Mother, the church, bring back this sacred music. Sure. Uh, so uh, when I was in college, I started a, it was actually uh, just a couple of friends of mine. We started a barbershop quartet. Um, <laughs> but eventually uh, we were asked to sing for a few for few masses. And so I knew sacred music decently well. And so we started going more in that direction. And eventually um, we did a pilgrimage to Rome. We sang in the, uh, all the major basilica, major basilicas and even some of the minor basilicas. And, um, and just hearing the ancient uh, melodies and texts of the church sung in their, uh, the spaces that they were originally sung in, it just brought to life the music. It brought to life the architecture. Um, and, um, you know, all these, all these different sacred arts, they're really interconnected. Um, so if you have a beautiful church and a beautiful cathedral, um, you, you need beautiful music to supplement it and to complement it for the reason, um, that the, first of all, they're made to go together. Um, um, and acoustically, uh, the glories of a, a piece of architecture only it only comes about when something is sung in it. So when you hear a beautiful chant, the real acoustical beauty of the, the, the church comes to life. Um, and then not to mention even the, the liturgy, um, how much the, how much chants sacred music and polyphony add to the liturgy. Uh, that's a whole nother ball game. Um, Amazing. Can I get your feedback on something, my friend? Um, sure. St. Pope Pius X said this, uh, he was quoting from the Council of Trent, okay? He said, In masses where music and organ are accustomed to be used in a measured way, nothing profane should be mixed in, but only hymns and divine praises. The whole manner of singing in the musical moods should be calculated not to offer vain joy to the ear, but so that the words can be understood by all, and so that the hearts of the listeners may be seized with the desire for heavenly harmonies and the contemplation of the joys of the blessed. Isn't that the kind of music you're talking about? I hope so. I do too, brother. <laughs> but, but let me ask you this. Jesse, are you back on? Yeah, I'm okay. back on. Just one comment. I want to bring in the Second Vatican Council also. This isn't something that we're bringing up as our personal opinion. Here's what Vatican II says about music. It echoes in the continuity of St. Pope Pius X at Vatican II. It says this, sacred music increases in holiness to the degree that it is intimately linked with the liturgical action. For this very reason, not all without dis distinction that is outside the temple is fit to cross into the threshold. And that was the venerable uh, Pope Paul VI wisely said, commenting on the decree of the Council of Trent. So what you're doing, my friend, is you're bringing back a little bit of amnesia. For 50, 60 years, we haven't heard this sacred music. Am I onto something, Jess? Yeah, I haven't met George yet, but we, uh, we have a lot of the same friends. Okay. George and, and this, this quartet of Thomas Aquinas graduates yep. who are incredibly gifted, They've, uh, they're going from parish to parish out there in Phoenix, and they're, they're, they're basically uh, 
showing Catholics what sacred music looks like. And so I want to commend them. Yeah. But thanks be to God because of the internet. They, they also, you guys, George, tell me a little bit about your, your chant school podcast, because this way you could affect more than the diocese of Phoenix. World. You guys could affect the entire country. Tell us a little bit about your chant school podcast. Sure. Well, uh, the, the podcast came about as a, a need that I saw in parishes. I worked in a few different parishes um, throughout the States. And I think at this moment in history, you, you're seeing a great desire, especially amongst pastors and the, the, the lay faithful, mm-hmm. for a return to beauty and a return to chants and a return to tradition. Um, but the one issue is there's, there's, um, there's a large amount of uh, unintentional ignorance on how to perform it uh, because we've we kind of just we skipped over it for 60 years. Um, there's there's a lack of knowledge on pronunciation of the Latin, a lack of knowledge on how to sing the melodies, how to do them correctly, um, and there's there's a lot that goes into it into chant. It's a very um, ancient and rich art, um, and so our podcast is really um, it's baby steps uh, chant chant with baby steps. So as actually, if you guys are, if you're looking at the podcast right now, we had a podcast released, uh, by my, uh, my, um, my teammate Thomas, and he's teaching his six-year-old little daughter on how to sing the Parche Domine. Uh, she does a great job with it. I mean, she's probably just very smart. Um, but if a six-year-old can do it, um, there's little excuse for the rest of us, in my opinion. Well said. George, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to share a story with you that you can share whenever you're, you're doing your, your parish missions. I was over in Bakersfield about a year ago doing a parish, uh, parish uh, event over there. And uh, when the people were taking me back to the hotel, we stopped by the 7-Eleven. And when I got off to grab myself my chocolate milk before I recessed for the evening, there were some speakers mounted outside of the 7-Eleven, and they were playing Gregorian chant. I'm like, <laughs> What? 7-Eleven playing Gregorian chant in a bad part of Bakersfield, by the way. Bad part of Bakersfield. It was a crime-ridden area. So I walked in. Most of the people in the store had a red dot on their forehead. So I said, they're Hindus. Now I'm really confused. What are Hindus doing playing Gregorian chant? So I went to go buy my milk, and I talked to the owner. He had a red dot on his forehead. And I, I said, sir, you're not Catholic, are you? He goes, no. He goes, I'm Hindu. He goes like that. I said, I said, I'm just curious because I'm Catholic and you're playing Gregorian chant from your speakers outside of the 7-Eleven and you're projecting them into the parking lot very loud. I said, I said, I love it. I, I, why are you doing that? He goes, oh, he goes, he goes, sir, we have a real homeless problem here. And I've tried everything, sprinklers, call the police, uh, smoke bombs. I, I've tried everything to scurry the, 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 the drug addicts, the panhandlers and the homeless away from the sidewalk because it's bad for business. He goes, nothing works. Somebody told me that Catholic sacred music, Gregorian chant, that demons don't like that. And he says, so I said, okay, maybe some of these people are diabolical. So I put the speakers out there. I started playing your Catholic music. Guess what? Homeless problem taken care of. As soon as the homeless and drug addicts and panhandlers hear the music, they get up, they grab their syringes, they grab their drugs, they grab their, their pellets, and they walk away like a like hundred yards yeah. and they walk away holding their ears. Like if it causes them pain, 
So I just thought I'd share that with you of the power of Gregorian chant. You know, it's, it's, uh, to be honest, it's actually not shocking to me. Um, because the music is, is meant to dispel evil spirits. Um, and the fact that it's, it hasn't been in our churches for the past 60 years should tell you who's, who's been running, you know, um, who, who's been working in the sanctuary all these years. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's really not a shocking claim. I did hear that story from someone, I think at your parish and, um, I didn't know it was a Hindu <laughs> shopper. That's, that's really, that's so even secular people realize the power of it. George, um, can I, can I jump yeah. in and ask you, because I want people to know how they can resource your wonderful website or YouTube channel. How can they, uh, get information on what you're doing regarding sacred music? Floriani.org is our website. Mm-hmm. Um, right Chant School Podcast, and that's that's on YouTube. It's on Spotify and uh, Apple Apple Podcasts, um, and you can stay updated for any any folks in St. Louis. We're actually doing uh, a large concert tour out there at the end of April, and there will be um, information on that as well. Um, in Phoenix, and for those of you in Phoenix, we sing actually at St. Anne's Parish every Sunday, um, the 11 a.m. and the 3 p.m. Um, so if you're interested in any of those, that's uh, uh, those are some other things. And we also have concerts all throughout Phoenix uh, tomorrow tomorrow evening at St. Mary's Basilica. But um, George, I'm going to interrupt because the music's on. We're going to come back with more to talk to you about. How yeah, we can got, bring sacred, yeah, sacred music back into our churches because obviously we need that desperately here in America and throughout the world. You're listening to the Fantastic. and Jesse show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. To join the conversation, call 888 526 2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Go ahead, Jess. We're back to the Terry and Jesse. So we've got, George, what does Floriani mean? I should have looked it up before the show. I'm embarrassed I didn't even look it up. What does it mean? Great question. Uh, my confirmation saint was uh, Saint Florian. Um, and I had uh, a bit of a miraculous experience uh with my confirmation saying I was, I almost drowned in the Yuba river in Northern California. Wow. And I, um, anyhow, that's a a long story, but, um, I got out of the river and I realized I need to thank St. Florian. I need to thank St. Florian. Uh, and only later did I realize he was the patron saint of drowning victims. And, um, so I didn't, as someone mentioned to me after you don't choose your confirmation saint, they choose you. And that, um, (laughs) So only years later did we, uh, I asked the guys, what do you think of the name Floriani after St. Florian? Um, so that worked out and they, they liked the name. Um, and one of our biggest events actually was singing for the Norbertines of St. Michael's Abbey uh, for the dedication of the new monastery, which happened on St. Florian's feast day, oh um, which was like a Monday or Tuesday. So it was very random, but it shows showed us that he he really is inter- interceding for us. Awesome. George, tell me a little bit of the the Protestants have made a cottage industry of uh from, you know, Protestant Christian music. They, you know, they're they're huge on drums and electric guitars and it it, it looks like the parallel of secular music other than it has Christian lyrics. 
why would you say, or how could you explain to the audience, uh, what would be the difference if somebody, like if a Catholic says, well, you know, sacred music is sacred music. You got Gregorian chant, and you got uh, Protestant praise and worship. It's all the same. It all glorifies God. Right. How would you, how would you explain to somebody that there is a difference in both modalities of music? How, how would you explain to them? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a different type of music for almost any type of event or occasion in life. And um, <laughs> I have a funny story. I had a professor in college. Um, uh, I hope uh, I hope this doesn't scandalize anyone. He asked the class in the beginning of our class on uh, the Bible. He's, he asked, what kind of music would you play to seduce a woman? And we're all just like, you know, confused. Why would you, like, what does that mean? But his greater point was that um, there's a certain type of music for that. There's a certain type of music for, um, for, for patriotism. There's a different type of music for church, different type of music for a party. Um, I think he said to seduce your wife. So just to I'm glad he clarified lessen the that. scandal there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and that, that point always stuck with me that there's a different type of music for every scenario in life. And um, if you want something to really lift your mind to the transcendence, uh, you see this need for uh, a music that's just beyond the secular realm. Um, have any of you guys seen the movie Interstellar? I have not. No. Um, it's no. a new sci-fi movie, but Hans Zimmer did the soundtrack okay. for it. And the main instrument for the movie is the organ. And uh, in the interview of why he chose the organ for the movie is... Um, he the reasoning he gave was that the organ has a sense of the transcendence and that that instrument alone could express the transcendence of the universe, which is a striking point for a secular Hollywood musician wow. to make. That's incredible. Um, true. Um, so the, the wisdom of the church goes beyond um, it goes beyond this, like the very, uh, you know, you, you you can't really it's it's not clear to reason but eventually it just makes sense and we we see that and it's expressed in the secular realm like through the hindu shopkeeper that you mentioned earlier they just see straight through it into it george how can people again i want some that might not know how to get a hold of you and how you can come to a parish or their event how can they contact you and what's your website sure floriani.org is our uh, website and uh, you can email at us at Floriani Sacred Music at gmail.com. And we can uh, we can work things out through there. Yeah. Awesome. And and that last thing I want to ask, and just I just want to say that because there's been such a lack of good catechesis on music, your organization is so needed. Um, what can you do for um, the schools? In other words, how can we get uh, young people uh, on the track for sacred music when they're very young what does your website have something for that sure uh uh we're we're currently developing more uh programs for children um and for just young the young in general thank you our our chant school podcast is really meant for every age because we go through the latin we go through the translation we go through the melody good um all of that's there um but yeah there there is a lot more to come and um yeah, so we're looking for looking for support, but we're also looking just to to share the the this this type of uh, evangelization. Awesome. 
George, I'm going to I'm going to share something with you. You could share with your audiences when you when you go out and lecture and, and and perform that Gregorian chant is used very effectively in uh, in in exorcism teams around the country mm. when when a when a person when a priest is praying over the possessed uh, and he has his team around him, they'll usually play Gregorian chant very softly in the background. And it just it just provides a uh, a lot more uh, gunpowder for for the for the <laughs> prayers. The prayers are more they're they're sharper and more precise when you have Gregorian chant playing in the background. I just want to let you know they don't play praise and worship. No, nope. they don't pray. Yeah. They pray Gregorian chant during exorcisms. Yeah. George, one more comment. Father Fessio shared this with me at a uh, conference oh, at yeah. Aramis. Yeah, Jesse knows what I'm going to talk. That that the Gregorian chant is very similar to what our Jewish folks did, so we got it from some of the the chants right. are from our Jewish brothers. Is that a fair statement? That uh, I, you just you hit home right there. Um, yeah, chant goes all the way back to um, to the Jewish temple, and there's a, there's a fair amount of evidence for that now. Yeah. Um, and uh, we can go into the reasoning behind that. I don't know if we have time on sure, the show. Take a couple minutes. Um, go ahead, because this is important. You got, uh, we got a few yeah. minutes. Yeah, go ahead, brother. This is good. Yeah. Sure. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, here's here's one short argument. Um, uh, during the uh, during the foundation of Israel, you have these different Jewish groups throughout um, throughout the world coming back um, and uniting in Israel. And um, one thing they brought back with them were were chants. And there was a musician at the time looking at all the different chants, and he saw that some of them were common chants. Now, the only point of uh, beforehand that they were all unified and uh, participating in the same liturgy was in 70 AD before the, the fall of the temple. Um, and um, I can even sing that chant for you right now. I don't know if it'll get across. Come on, radio, do it. I want it. Sure, Play. yeah, yeah. I hear it. This is this is the Hebrew uh, beginning of Psalm 114. And this chant is also kept in the Roman tradition um, in the in the the Latin in Exitu Israel, which is for Psalm 114. And I'll sing that as well. You'll see the com commonality in the melody. Um, in exitu Israel de Egipto, de populo barbaro. I don't know how well that's going to get across the radio. It's but beautiful, beautiful. The uh, yeah, you, you just see the the commonality between the Jewish chant of the temple yep. and Gregorian chant now. And there's other examples that you can go through. Um, um, in fact, even yesterday we we're we we're learning actually the Psalm 148 in Hebrew. Um, it's very striking and beautiful text uh, and beautiful chant. Um, so, it, I mean, we we're, we're spanning millennia at this point with chant, and um, it's definitely something we don't want to miss in our liturgies. And we, we we need to bring this back. There's no there's no other option. We That's need to bring right. it back. Yeah. I agree, Terry. Terry, I remember the story. Father Fessio said twenty years ago at our Amos conference that he called up. Yep. Jewish Hebrew University yep. over in Los Angeles and in New York. He talked to their professors and their the Jewish professors in their music department, yep. and he asked them. He said, "Hey, I'm doing a study on how did the Holy Family, uh, how did they pray? 
the Hebrew professors in New York and L.A. told Father Fesh, they said, have you heard of your Gregorian chant, Father? He goes, yeah. He goes, that's the way <laughs> Jesus, Mary, and Joseph prayed. He goes, what? He goes, yes. He goes, you Catholics took your Gregorian chant from Jewish chant. You guys just put Latin words instead of Hebrew, but that's the way Jesus, Mary, and Joseph would have prayed. Just listen to your Gregorian chant. I'll never forget that story. That's a great idea. It, it rang a bell yeah. years ago. That's awesome. George, one more time. How can people contact? We got about 30 seconds to a minute. Go ahead. Sure. Floriani Sacred Music uh, at gmail.com or Floriani.org. We're on Spotify. Our yep. podcast is Chant School Podcast, and you can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and YouTube. Um, those, those are just some basic ways. Awesome. Well, I'm just glad to see young men like yourself and others bringing back some of the traditional teachings of our church, especially when it comes to sacred music, because as I demonstrate, the documents of the church are very clear on what we should have. Uh, the challenge has been implementing them, and guys like you and others are helping us do that. So I just want to thank you for that big commitment. You're helping Holy Mother hey, of the Church. What's good is, is people like George and his friends, yeah. is, is the, the quartet, yeah. they're young guys. They're going to outlast all the of liberals. Of course. <laughs> and these guys are going to restore the church. Praise Amen. God. Yep. The way, and, and let's just be honest. Even a lot of the heresies that went on in the church came through music. Music is such a powerful means to teach the faith. And Gregorian Chant does just that. So I want to thank you, George. Any final thoughts before we let you roll, brother? I mean, yeah, I, I, I do think it's on the uprise. Um, I think there's a huge amount of a huge amount of consciousness in young Catholics now yeah. of, um, who want the return. And and we're just we're starting to see it. So it's, it's very hopeful. The amount of support we get is just it's it's super vast. And um, yeah, there's. Um, yeah, it's only inevitable at this point. So right. well, you're, get on board. Thank you, brother. I hear the music. We're at, out of time. So thank you so much for joining us. Jesse, wrap this up because sacred music, is it's all tied yeah. into the worship of God, is it not? This is everything. Uh, I, I just want to thank George and the quartet uh, for what they're doing for Holy Mother Church. God bless you. Keep the faith. Plug into their podcast. Plug into their and, – and start bringing that music over to your parish. Well, that's a wrap with the Terry and Jesse show. Thanks a lot, George. God bless you. We'll God love you. Keep the faith. You God bless you, Jesse. Jesse, you bet, brother. What state should we be living in, Jesse Romero? Let's live in a state of grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Amen, Make brother. Make sure that you're reading your Bible every single day. Pray your rosary every single day. Make sure that you're becoming holy or dying or die trying. Become holy or die trying. Terry. And remember, Our Lady of Fatima said souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Are you willing to make those sacrifices? Join us tonight for our holy hour for our priests here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. From 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., we get down on our knees and pray that God will bless our priests. Thanks again for joining us. God love you and your family.